Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you as always from beautiful Lexington, Kentucky. Welcome to episode five. This is a conversation with my friend, Peter Schmidt. He's a founder of the Eternal Summer Golf Society and host of the Oil Hardened Classic Golf Outing each year. Uh, Peter, for, for my money, is one of the most interesting guys in golf here in central Kentucky. He's a really good, positive guy in our golf scene. Um, I think you'll enjoy hearing from him. He's not a golf pro or affiliated with a course or any particular company. He's just an amateur a golfer who found something in particular that reignited a, a passion for golf. And the good thing about it is that he has a willingness to share that passion with any and all people that might be interested in similar or the same things. You know, and that's something I think the golf world could use plenty of right now, especially golf Twitter, uh, which has gotten kind of tribal and divided. Uh, having somebody with some positivity that has the just the interest in the game, there's plenty of space for that these days. Before we go any further, a reminder that the Blind Shots podcast is a proud member of the Talking Golf Network of Shows. You can find their full portfolio over at TalkingGolf.com. That's TalkingGolf.com with one G. I know there's a new State of the Game podcast out. Uh, that's one of my favorite podcasts. It's the golf equivalent of three guys sitting together in the front porch and yelling, get off my lawn about golf topics. It's fun, entertaining, educational as well. Those guys do a nice job. So check that out. Subscribe. Uh, reminder, you can interact with this show on Twitter at BlindShotsPod. Uh, you can find my thoughts and writings on the blog at OneBeardedGolfer.com. You can interact with me directly on Twitter at OneBeardedGolfer. That's the number one, Bearded Golfer. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook under the OneBeardedGolfer handle, so... Uh, and as always, anything I mention in the episode, we'll try to have links to in the show notes, so be sure to check those out. Now on to my conversation with Peter. Um, in 2019, he helped continue my streak of playing golf with someone new that I've met through golf social media each year. Uh, we went out early in the year to Kearney Hill here in Lexington, and of all the people I've played golf with in the last probably 20 years, he's the first one I can remember showing up with persimmon woods and blade irons for the round. Um, you know, I took up the game in the late 90s with my brother's hand-me-down clubs. I think they were metal woods. They may have been blades. It was an old set of J.C. Sneed Northwestern clubs. Um, I can remember, I know at least the three wood and the five wood were persimmon, but maybe not the driver. But that's what Peter played that day, and he played it really well. Uh, he wasn't losing any distance to me in my modern clubs, so... That hurt my feelings a little bit, but good on him for having such a nice swing. We can all be jealous a little bit. Uh, also, he, you know, he inspired me with his Oil Hardened Classic Golf Tournament uh, to latch on to an idea and take steps to make it a reality. So, uh, you know, I've, I've been tinkering with the idea of a, a six-club challenge later this summer. I'm hopeful that with everything going on, that can continue. And we can keep our date in June. And we mentioned that I have an update on Peter's tournament at the end of the show today. So he's a good follow on Twitter and Instagram. And I think you'll like hearing from him today. So without any further ado, here's Peter Schmidt. And I'm speaking now with Peter Schmidt. 
Uh, some of you may know him as a featured writer uh, on Golf WRX. Uh, he is also a founder of the Eternal Summer Golf Society. Do I have that right? Yep. Okay. Uh, and a proprietor of the Oil Hardened Classic, uh, which we'll get to here shortly. Uh, Peter, thank you for speaking with us tonight. Yeah, man. Good to talk to you. You as well. Uh, you kept my streak alive in 2019. I have played golf with at least one Twitter fo- friend, follower, acquaintance, I think every year, maybe for the last four or five years. And you were when we got together at Kearney, uh, yeah. you were my first of the year. So thank you for, for that. Uh, yeah, something right we are long overdue to repeat. Yeah, it is. Um, so you are you have become a golf nut. How did that happen? Um, well, uh, you know, I mean, golf has been, I've been around golf pretty much my whole life. Both my parents played, uh, and both of my grandfathers played as well. So, uh, it's definitely kind of been like, that was one of the reasons my, my parents got together was that they both loved to play golf and they loved to travel to play golf. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, so they, they actually did their honeymoon at Pebble. You know, back in the early '80s, um, before you so needed a second mortgage to do that, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, like I said, you know, golf. I mean, I picked up golf when I was probably. I mean, it just depends on where you want to draw the line. I know there's pictures of me in like a little junior clinic when I was five years old. So I've always been around it. Now, see, that is a difference. Between and um, okay. No, I, I was I came to golf later. You know, my high school graduation ended my baseball career, so I needed something to do. And Tiger Woods had yeah. just won his first Masters, and that's how I got into it. So I'm always okay. curious what what golf looks and feels like to a kid. You know, I know I know what a little league field looked like, uh, but that was my point of reference. You grew up into the big field as you got older. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what the golf equivalent looks like. Man, the golf course was a it was a place of refuge as a kid. I mean, I grew up on Valley View Golf Club, which is just a little muni in Floyd's Knobs, Indiana. Uh, for anyone that's not aware of where in the heck that is, it's just uh, barely across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, uh, into Indiana. And I mean, my gosh, um, you know, most almost every day of the week and. A lot of those days was almost sun up to sundown. That was basically summer camp was just Valley View Golf Club just bat, beating it around, you know. Yeah, for my equivalent was riding the bike to the, the baseball field or starting up a wiffle ball game. But uh, I don't know if you can get away with that anymore. Uh, were you just <laughs> dropped off at the course and, you know, just walk until you, it was time to come home or – uh, yeah, a lot of days I was, yeah. Um, especially, I mean, not when I was like, you know, eight years old, but, you know, at, you know, 13, 14, you know, junior high and high school, yeah. Spent a lot of days, you know, just all day just eating hot dogs in the clubhouse. Now, was that a, a constant for you as you grew into adulthood or did you take a, a break? I know you were you were a veteran. Uh, yep. So did that – Yeah, inter- I didn't – I didn't play hardly at all when I was in the core. It's it's hard. <laughs> um, I've I found it pretty hard anyway to uh, maintain any kind of uh, rhythm while I was in the military. So um, 
I mean, I've definitely played, but I, we're talking like um, maybe around a month, you know, during that time. I mean, maybe, and that might be stretching it. So, um, no, it's definitely kind of ebbed and flowed, and probably about, you know, the last the last couple years, ever since my kids have kind of gotten out of diapers, and I've I've gotten just a just a, a fraction more free time. Is kind of when I've uh, decided to devote more and more of myself to golf and just exploring different ways to uh, appreciate the game and getting more involved, meeting people on social media, uh, traveling to meet people and play golf and things like that. And it's just it's been a blast. Well, you are a as far as I can tell from the social media feeds, you are well traveled in golf. Um, I know you have a particular affinity for. Uh, several courses that are in our region, not necessarily mm-hmm. locally, uh, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll touch on those a little bit. How did you get hooked up, taking your thoughts and your feelings on golf, and getting them down to to share with others as a writer? Well, I just um, uh, it seems like it it seems funny now because I'm not in the same predicament now than I was then. But I think I started it. Um, probably somewhere around two years ago now. And I just found myself with just a hair extra free time, like I said, and um, was on Golf Derby Rex one day, and I just saw the link that said, hey, do you want to write for us? And I think it's still on there. You know, there's they're always open to anyone, you know, just reaching out and saying, here's – I think I submitted, like, I wrote two posts, and then I wrote down three or five headlines of, you know, things that I would, you know, maybe – think about writing about in the future and submitted it to the editor and he was like yeah man let's get you set up and just kind of took to it it's just been a really fun way i kind of see it as a platform uh not unlike uh instagram or or twitter if you really want the god's honest truth in that it gets it gets me away to um get in front of some very interesting people to make a lot of very interesting friends and learn learn something I didn't know before, uh, which has just been a blast. So if something moves me, if I see something really interesting that I haven't seen before, if I see something um, worth uh, writing about, then then I go after it and, and we make an article about it. Well, now that is the ultimate freedom, it sounds like. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah. have a, I maintain a blog. I'm trying to write more this year, um, but the idea of – Hey, that's a, a difference. The idea of handing it in or submitting for approval, that would just get my anxiety up to a level. I don't know that I would enjoy it as much as just treating the blog kind of as a scrapbook or a diary of just thoughts and, and get it out. So I, I'm jealous that you have that gene. I don't know that I do. Um, I can stand okay. up I can stand up in front of thousands of people and talk. I got no problem doing that. I could give a, a speech anywhere, but – the idea of having somebody critique my writing and give it back to me with comments that uh, maybe I'm just out of practice. Um, uh, yeah. So I commend you on that. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, now, I mentioned that we played together last year. Uh, we walked. At, I guess we got, did we get in 18 holes? I think so. At Kearney. I think we did. I think the sun was setting on us, wasn't it? It was. We were chasing it. Uh, yep. But you were playing uh, what has become, I guess, a signature for you, uh, some persimmon woods and blades. Um, yeah. How did that become the golf sweet spot for you? Because I know I have friends that play hickories that swear uh-huh. by it, love it. 
you know, they'll, they'll max out at, I don't know, 5,500 yards, maybe, if they're really yeah. feeling it. Um, you know, you, you didn't go – persimmons and blades aren't that far back. So how did that become your go-to? Well, um, so to be fair, I've tried hickory, and I have a little – I have like a half set. I have maybe seven or eight clubs, which uh, I enjoy. I enjoy that as well. Um, I've really taken to um, what – uh, a lot of us kind of called the classic era, which is like, uh, for anyone that's, that's kind of unaware, basically like 1935 to 1985, like steel shafted persimmon woods and basically steel shafted blades. Cause that was basically all there was until pretty much, you know, ping got into the game. So anyway, um, what got me into it? I just, so what got me back into it? Cause I left it all, all behind in the, you know, mid to late nineties when the big berthas and 975Ds and everything came out. And, um, I was talking to Patrick Boyd one day of National Custom Works, uh, fame. And he was talking about his love for persimmon and everything. And it just got me thinking about the fact that I hadn't even tried it in decades. And I do remember what it felt like as a kid. I remember playing golf with my grandpa and him carrying persimmon woods. Uh, you know, we grew up uh, just outside of Louisville, as I said earlier. So Louisville golf and uh, power built, which is part of Hillary and Brad's also Louisville slugger, you know, that was kind of a, a bit of a nostalgic thing for me. And Patrick started talking about persimmon and I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll give that a go and just, uh, pick it back up again and see what happens. And I fell quickly back in love with it. And I think to me, it's just, um, it's, it reminds me of what I felt like as a kid, like what you were saying, um, about growing up on a golf course. It's just like, you know, when you, there's nowhere to hide with this equipment. So yes, there are quote unquote bad, uh, results to be had out there sometimes, but when you hit a great shot, it's, it's yours. You did that. And to execute a shot really well with clubs like this is a, is an extra exhilarating feeling in, in my personal opinion. And I remember that feeling as a kid on a golf course, playing for hours and hours and hours and hours, searching for that one, you know, that one shot that kind of goes right up your hands and into your heart. And, um, yeah, I just started feeling it again and I haven't really let it go yet. That's for sure. I still, I mean, I play, I play modern equipment. I play with persimmon and blades and I'll play hickories. I kind of, I have, have no shame. I'll mix it up. Well, it, that's a beautiful line, you know, straight up your arm and into your heart. Um, the, when I came into golf, it was with uh, my brother's hand-me-down set. It was old Northwestern J.C. Sneed metal woods. You know, they looked like persimmons, but they were metal woods and mm-hmm. uh, kind of quasi-blades um, from basically from the late 80s. But you know, one of the things I thought about and what has me sort of pondering and considering clubs from the era that you're talking about is that I wonder if playing what I know to be a little more difficult equipment removes some of the pressure to quote unquote put up a score. I mean, it, it, I can't imagine being any less competitive 
you know, within your own mind, but would it be, I know I would probably care less about my handicap if I were moving between equipment and, and playing, you know, my only exposure to persimmons, I worked my first golf job was mowing, I was on the maintenance crew at Quail Chase, which is a course in South uh-huh. Louisville, um, mm-hmm. was a great summer job in college. And so, but we've got the shed and we've got just a giant barrel of found golf clubs that were never claimed, including several, um, you know, including several persimmon heads. And so we'd go off the back of the range. We could hit as one of the perks of the job is you could play as much golf or hit as many range balls as you wanted. And so we'd go out there and boy, a miss was bad and you'd want to, you know, go put your arm in ice. But boy, that one or two times you would catch the sweet spot on, you know, right on the screws, literally on the screws of that old persimmon driver and it was just amazing there was no feeling like that anywhere yeah i mean you know the misses the misses are definitely there don't get me wrong i think there's something to the old theory of you'll you'll take as much room as you're given you know i mean you look down at a uh you know when you're used to a 460 cc head and then you put one down that's 190 you start to pay attention a little more about contact so um but also, I mean, the misses are just different with persimmon woods. Uh, the misses, the way a persimmon wood is uh, built, manufactured, designed, etc., is it will impart spin on the golf ball when you hit it toe and heel. So it won't go as far when you miss hit it. But that extra spin does bring it back closer to center. So you will have more dispersion distance-wise, but not quite so much left to right. In case we lost anybody so, there, I should point out that <laughs> Peter is an engineer by professional training. So hey, just follow yeah. along. He's he's not so fooling us. I guess <laughs> what I'm saying is, uh, in so many words, let me let me just back up a little bit. I, I don't be. I would not be afraid of it. I mean, yes, they're different. And I think that's the point. It's a different experience. It's a fun and interesting and new way for a lot of people to experience golf. It does not have to be, um, you know, um, high launch, low spin, hit it as far as you can, as high as you can, all the time, every time, uh, max carry. There's nothing wrong. If that's if that's what lights you up, go for it. There's nothing wrong with that. But if if sometimes you find yourself getting burned out, and I very much do, then I'm just like, you know what, I'm, I need the modern equipment to go away for a while and I'll go play hickories because the game is different with that style of equipment. Um, there's just, you have to think a lot more creatively, um, about how, not just what distance you're going to hit a shot, but how you're going to bring it in at that distance. And it's just, it's a really engaging way, I think, uh, to play golf. Will you play the same tees across different equipment, or do you have preferred no. yardages? So, for reference, and definitely no. But like for reference, like with modern equipment, seven thousand yards is too much for me. I mean, it's that's the very tip top. If someone really just wants to play seven thousand yards, I'll do it. But um, you know, sixty eight hundred to seven thousand is probably fine with modern equipment. Um, I would say the sweet spot with like persimmon and blades is about 6,600. That's kind of a perfect yardage, uh, for me anyway. 
And then hickories are more like 6,200. That's, you know, that's a little tighter dispersion than I would have imagined. Um, I think I've played, I don't know that I've ever played 7,000 yards. I, I played in the state mid-am a couple of years ago, but even that I think tipped out at 69. And that was one, you mentioned having to pay attention. Uh, when, yeah. you're, when you're a, a relatively short hitter like me and you've got to, you know, a 230-yard carry facing you, you you pay attention a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, sure. You, you mentioned a minute ago Louisville Golf. Um, there's yeah. somebody I follow. You know, I, I didn't know about them growing up, obviously, but uh, I went to high school in the Louisville area. So, you know, and the Just family is yep. legendary, you know, members of the golf community in Louisville. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit, what should I know about Louisville Golf Company? Well, yeah, yeah that's um – I did write an article on uh, Louisville Golf um, on WRX. Um, there's also a great piece in the Golfer's Journal uh, on Louisville Golf. But in a nutshell, I'll say this quickly. It was started by a gentleman by the name of Elmore Jest, um, who passed away, I believe, in the 90s or no, early 2000s. Elmore passed away in the early 2000s. And then his brother, Mike Jest, took it over at, at that point. There are two other Just brothers who still work there and have worked there since the 70s uh, named uh, Robert and Gerard. And they've just, um, you know, they've been doing it since the 70s. They used to make woods for Hogan, McGregor, uh, et cetera, you know, all the big boys uh, back in the 70s and 80s. And then, you know, as you can imagine, you know, when – Big Bertha's and 975D's came out in the mid to late 90s. It just dropped like a rock. Uh, they found a bit of a resurgence in the hickory golf world. They kind of used their talents in a in a new uh, arena, if you will. That's been very good to them. But they're just, um, you know, Robert and Gerard and, and the other guys there. There's um, other gentlemen who work there. And have been there since the 70s as well. They just do a great job. They're they're really good craftsmen. They know exactly uh, what it takes to make a quality product. And um, the current owner is uh, a gentleman by the name of Jeremy Wright, who I've gotten to know pretty well over the last year or so. Um, Again, another really good guy who just gets it, if you will. And their stuff is beautiful. If anyone hasn't seen it, the the vintage clubs and they, I don't know if they make them, but I know they have bags that they, I think at least have offer on their website. But their clubs are as much works of art as they are playable tools. Um, yeah. At, at least to the layman, I'd be I'd be afraid to hit them because they're they're just they look like they belong on a wall somewhere. But they're 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 real clubs. I mean, they're oh, yeah. the, the Hickory players. I mean, they've got diehard fanatic fans, and it's just right down the road from us here in Lexington. Um, I mentioned earlier you uh, this year you have an event coming up. I want you to plug it here, the Oil Hardened Classic. This is the second edition. Uh, yep. First, tell us about the first edition in 2019. Where was it? Who was there? How did it go? Yeah, so this whole thing started when, you know, like we were saying, I got, I really kind of got into classic area equipment and, um, you know, I just wanted more people to play with if you really want the God's honest truth. 
Um, I wanted to, I, I thought that I could not be the only one who, who appreciated it. And I kind of looked at the site of Hickory Golfers as a bit of a parallel to where there's a bunch of guys who just really just enjoy this era of golf and um, experiencing golf the same way. And they all get together and there's different society of Hickory Golfers have different, you know, chapters all around the country. They organize their own events. And um, I was like, well, why can't we do that for, you know, classic era? Let's just, and no one else was doing it. So I guess I might as well give it a go. So we did our first event uh, last September. Uh, pardon me, at Sweetens Cove, and um, it went really well, man. We had um, we had people from a wide wide range of areas, wide range of ages, um, really, really good mix of people, and everyone uh, was really there for the right reasons. Uh, we just, we had a blast. We had the whole course to ourselves for a day. And, um, I mean, I just, I mean, we really, honestly, we couldn't have asked for much more than that, uh, just to, to get something started, get it off the ground and, um, get some momentum behind it. It was really, really, really good. You know, that's one of the, uh, you know, I've not been there, but that's one of the fun things it seems to me is that Sweden's Cove makes itself available essentially for events, for rentals to rent out the whole course. So, mm-hmm. um, now tell me about plug the 2020 version that's coming up because you're going to one of my favorite so, places in the golf world. Yeah, so we're 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 going to try to move this event around as much as we can, and I say that with a little bit of trepidation because I'm I'm not sure we also don't want to get too far out over our skis. Um, but um, go you know piggybacking off of the feedback that we got from the the gentleman who came this last time around, we're going to do uh, Friday night. We're going to do like a social get together at Louisville golf headquarters. So that'll just be a time for people to just hang out. We'll have some food catered in, uh, obviously a couple of drinks and, um, you know, people can tour the facility, meet Jeremy. Uh, I don't know who exactly from Louisville golf is going to be there, but you know, we'll, um, we'll get factory tours together uh, I do know Jeremy's going to be there, and um, th- that should be a great, great time for people to just kind of sit around and talk and swap stories, and and I'm sure there'll be a lot of show and tell with old clubs and things like that. Um, and then Saturday we're going to drive up to um, the Donald Ross Course in French Lick, Indiana, which is an hour and a half away from Louisville Golf, um, which and we're going to have 36 holes there. It's going to be a lot of fun. You know that. I've got in my notes that I think the Ross course has the best greens this side of Tobacco Road. You know, the, they're big, and they're, that is an old – it's a, a Donald Ross course. Um, you know, some of it's been lengthened, but there's a, a lot of his fingerprints still on those green complexes. And, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're wild, and they're crazy, and they're undulating. And I would think they would be a lot of fun to play with some equipment that was a little closer to what they were designed uh, to be played with. Um, yeah, it's um, it's a great course. It was always my favorite place to play growing up. Uh, that's that's what I wanted to do for my birthday every year was go to the Ross course. Um, uh, like, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of that's without question my first introduction to to wild undulating greens like that. You know, yeah, it's kind of Tobacco Road esque or Sweetens esque, if you will. Um, you know, we've got a we did get a hand, our hands on a scorecard from the. Um, I believe it was from the late 20s, an old um, 
uh, one of the head pros uh, gave us one of the old scorecards. So we're going to try to mimic those tee boxes as well as we can. Obviously, the course isn't exactly like uh, Ross did it back in the teens, but uh, we're going to get it as close as we can get it for the event. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, when are you going up there? What time of year? When is your That's event? That's going to be June 12th. Is Friday, June 12th is the Louisville Golf event. Saturday the 13th is golf at the Ross course. And if if there is enough interest, we are going to get a, kind of a friendly match together Sunday at the die course at French Lake, the Pete die course. Um, but that's that's kind of an an optional extra add-on if people want to do it, um, and it's not really part of the competition, so to speak. Well, I think it's a great idea. Where can people find? Do you have a, a web page? Where can they find more information? If they or are you sold out? Are you you done for 2020? No, yeah, we're we're still uh, we're still taking entries. Um, our website is www.eternalsummergolfsociety.org. Um, no dashes, no dots, no any of that. Uh, it's a bit long, but that's that's the URL that's available. So that's what we got. Well, you know, I think it's a great idea. I, I wasn't able to play last year, and I'm still thinking about this year. But I've I've basically used you as inspiration for my own little tournament that we're a couple of us are putting together in Lexington. Our our six yeah. of one, half a dozen the other. Um, so thank you for that for for providing a little bit of courage to say you know what this is something we ought to do and getting me to pull the trigger. So yeah, uh, I'm I'm proud to know you putting together a fun event like that. Um, of particular interest to me, I know you have been to Scotland to play golf. How long ago mm-hmm. was your was that one trip, or have you been over there more than once? Well, that's um, I went. I've only been once, but I'm planning another one. Um, I went in 2011 to Scotland and 2013 to Ireland. Nice. So that I assume that was before you had your renaissance with with ultra with. I guess persimmon and, and hickory Correct. equipment. Um, Correct. You know, yep. I, I went in last fall and had an absolute blast. It was as life and golf changing as everyone says it is. Uh, yep. What did you love over there? What did you fall in love with? Oh, man, everything. <laughs> is everything an option? I mean, the people were great. The food was great. The golf was great. Uh, the courses, the conditions. I mean, did you get any monsoons? Because we played 134 holes we, of golf, when, and we had rain on four of them. We the the tourism. Oh wow! The the convention and tourism bureau could not have ordered better weather, and that's late October. <laughs> so I I don't know if I should feel cheated or not, but we just completely lucked. No out. man, you you got lucky, and you should take that gift and and just enjoy it. Um, we did like so. I think when we went to Scotland, if memory serves, the worst day was. Uh, Turnberry, um, it was, it was, uh, like the ball was, was wiggling, you know, as you're trying to hit it and the wind was blowing so hard. Um, I think that was the first, you know, the really, really, uh, true Scottish weather, I suppose is, is probably the right way to say it. Uh, uh you know, the, the caddy said I wouldn't be out in this, but you you guys came halfway around the world, so you might as well. So, um. But yeah, Turnberry was was kind of bad weather. We had beautiful weather for the old course. It was picture perfect. Um, so that was lovely. Yeah, we had the, the closest we had. Our caddies were impressed that we were out at Carnoustie because we were playing in about a twenty mile an hour wind, and that's 
it, it was cold, but you know, it, we were prepared. We came with lots of layers because it was late October in yeah. Scotland. Um, anything you're doing different this time? Uh, not just choosing courses, but any lessons learned that you're going to do different on this next trip you're you're planning? Um, just trying to get more courses, and I'm still not going to get to them all. But that's that's another reason to go back, right? I mean, you just that's the only limitation is is how many courses can you play? Because it doesn't matter where you are in that country, you can't shake a stick and hit six great golf courses. So. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's really the only limitation is just trying to get to a couple of different courses and and uh, you know see what shakes out. Yeah, the the only thing I would do we we had a great trip and I wouldn't change anything, but I would like to have a different experience insofar as going in the summer. You know, we had twenty we had daylight. I mean, if we really hustled, we could have turned two loops. But mm-hmm. you know, we were there literally when the time changed from daylight savings to non and. Uh, you know, the legendary stories of the summers when it's the sun is up 18, 20 hours a day, that that would be something fun to experience. So, uh, you know, when I go back, uh, there will be a, a, a portion of that that I want to experience. Um, but for for the shape that we were in physically, yeah, 27 a day, we played, uh, you know, some a little match play after our normal, I guess, metal round. Um, mm-hmm. So that's something I would do different. But otherwise, I'm like you. I loved every second of it. Yeah. Um, now, we've mentioned some some popular courses here tonight between Sweetens Cove and uh, the Ross at French Lick. And Scotland, obviously. Um, for listeners, in if they're coming through or to Kentucky or anywhere in our area, really even our region, is there – and you can't say Sweetens Cove because that that has gotten popular. That that's no longer <laughs> underground at all. Um, well, but if it's if it's that cheap, I mean, is it is it still a hidden gem? Even if everybody knows about it, <laughs> no. maybe good, uh, only because you can get you literally can get lost. I guess on your way there, maybe. Um, it's, but yeah, it's is there it's, any place else around here that you would tell if someone's getting into the game? You know, if their kid is yeah. interested in the game or if they're getting into it as an adult, that they should go see as an introduction to God. Go see something special that isn't, you know, Pebble or, you know, something right. on that lot. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, – I would – a couple of different things come to mind. So specific to Lexington, I would say uh, – you mentioned Kearney earlier. That's probably – I mean, that's a really good – I mean, it's a really good muni. I mean, it's a municipal golf course. As a veteran, I can walk it for like $12 on a Saturday in June, you know, peak season walking rate. And it's the Pete Dye golf course. It used to host a senior tour event. I mean, that's – you can't really beat that. Um, you know, uh, going up north, I went to Purdue. Um, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to – I guess I'll let's just stick with the Pete Dye theme, huh? Yeah. So plug those Purdue courses. has thirty <laughs> Purdue has thirty six holes that I think are really, really great. Um and I used to walk that for like ten bucks as a student. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Um so you know, if you ever see uh you know, if your team is playing Purdue, uh go up there for a weekend, play thirty six holes, watch a watch a game and then come back, something like that. So it would be a blast. Yeah, it's the the Boilermaker um, course. Is that it, it's too, uh, the Camp and Course? 
The Campen course is the north course. That was there when I was in school. And the south course, um, which is right adjacent to the football stadium, used to be called Ackerman, and now it's called Ackerman Allen. Uh, Pete Dye recently redid it, and I'm thinking, and that was maybe, I'm going to say three to five years ago. It's pretty recent. Um, before that, I mean, it had been the same since, you know, Jack Nicholas was at Ohio State. I mean, he played that golf course. So, um, yeah, that, that's a lot of fun. The fort up in Indianapolis is a really good golf course. Uh, golf course I had a lot of fun with for not a, not a lot of money. Yeah, that's a stake park um, course. That's a, I've played that. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a really fun track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fun course. Um, also, too, I mean, whenever you're traveling or wherever you might be from, you know, people might be listening to this in Tacoma, Washington. I don't know. Um, Sugarloaf Social Club, hit up their website. They have a map, a hidden gem map. You know, if you want to, I mean, and there's like, you know, they have mapped out quite a bit of, you know, really good, you know, public Ross courses and things like that. Uh, good places to hit up. That are not a lot of money and uh, publicly available. No, I didn't know that. That's a new one to me. I'm going to look at that tonight. Oh yeah, that's. Um, I'll get you out. Of, you can decline to answer if you want. Uh, you know, I'm not as in tune with pro golf as I used to be. Um, it's something. It's it's good. But, you know, outside of the majors or some a couple of choice tournaments that I have a, a connection. I feel like I have a connection to. Um, you know, it's good background. It's good filler. Uh, the distance debate. Uh, have you taken it aside? Because it seems like this is headed towards just ugliness and sniping on, in the social media sphere anyway. I've tried to stay out of it. I, I've come close to deleting Twitter over bifurcation and, and rollbacks or, you know, whatever stance people are taking. Because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty wild. But, and you've uh, rolled I'm back. Like you. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I have. Well, I mean – um, here's my personal opinion is I think, uh, I th- think Adam Scott hit the nail on the head. I think it was last August in one of his press conferences. Um, uh, in my personal opinion, hitting a drive nowadays is not a skill for a professional golfer. Um, it's the most forgiving club in the bag, as Adam pointed out. And everything is completely predicated around speed. And I think that it takes away – I think that it – it um, what's the right way to say this? I think that it uh, provides too much weight to one skill in the game of golf. And I think that any good golf event – like, for instance, we were talking about Scotland earlier. I think that's why – those courses have stood the test of time is because they test so many different skills. Um, they require so many different shots. And that is what uh, ultimately, I think, you know, separates a true champion or a true golfer. And the drivers today are, in my opinion, are just a little bit too forgiving. I think that it doesn't there should be more of a premium on center contact yeah. and not so much a premium on speed. The, the screws on an old persimmon driver head or even, you know, just look at the – I looked when I was researching a, a little bit just for speaking with you. I, I pulled up a picture of the old J.C. Sneed Northwesterns that I inherited from my brother. 
And, uh-huh. you know, they're 190cc driver, maybe yeah. 150cc three wood. Um, so, yeah, it, it the sweet spot was a lot smaller. The only thing I really – and I don't even get worked up, but the only part of the conversation I've got any real interest in is, you know, for the, the courses, you know, keeping – but you know this is well. That's the, another yeah. yeah I it's, mean, it's, it's the courses, it's the length of rounds, it's yeah, all of the above. You know, I thought like oh, that only affects you know point x percent. But you know, I was talking to a, a local pro here, and he said no. When Kearney was built, it tipped out at about sixty eight hundred or sixty seven hundred somewhere in there, and they they added tees in, in mm-hmm. consultation with Pete and PB Die, um, which I was unaware of. I just assumed you know senior tour. The way the seniors hit it now, I assume that's what they were hitting it, uh, you know, relatively in the '80s. But no, that it had been lengthened. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm leery of that. You know, uh, whatever they decide to do, I hope that the distance gains don't keep kind of going on the trajectory that they are. David Stern used to tell a, a great anecdote about Red Auerbach when he was considering raising the goal height from 10 feet to 12 feet. You know, this is in the '80s or something to, to gin up interest. And mm-hmm. he said, and Red would said, David, why why do you want to do that? I said, oh, you know, to to try to get basically to diversify the game, to take the emphasis off the big man. I said, David, who gets all the big men get all the rebounds now because the goal is ten feet high. When the goal is twelve feet high, who who are going to get all the rebounds? The ones that are the tallest and can jump. Well, exactly. And they hung up the phone. The point was made. You know, the, the best players in the world are still going to be the best players in the world, no matter what the, you know, whether the ball flies further, shorter, or stays the same. Yeah. You know, there's been some. Yep. And if, if they roll it back, yeah, DJ's still going to be long, and Rory's still going to be long, and Zach Blair's still going to be short. Right. And, you know, there may be. Just there, the numbers are going to change. The spectrum may be a little. What the interesting discussion that I've seen that at least interests me is that there's been some. You know, some there's X percentage of professional tour players that have kind of just been in the wake. Um, you know, there's been a dilution of skill. You know that why why aren't Tiger and Rory more in favor of rolling back the driver or something? Because they they would still be the best ball strikers in the world. They would still be the best drivers of the ball in the world. And you know, some of these guys that may have more marginal skills would get exposed. And you know that I hadn't thought of it from that perspective, but. Yeah, that that it's. I'm with you. I have yet to chime in on Twitter because I I'm just agnostic. You know, I it's entertainment. Those <laughs> those guys do not play the same game of yeah. golf that I do, uh, and I never will. That's uh, yeah, and that's um, that is a completely fair point. Um, and I for one, I would be fine with bifurcation. I would be fine with rolling the ball back. I think either one is fine. Um, I do think something needs to be done personally. That's just one man's opinion. Uh, I do have reasons for it, but at the end of the day, it's my opinion, and the USGA doesn't give to you know what's about that. So, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is well said. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to catch up. Uh, I do want to get out. Uh, hopefully, once that we thaw a little bit, uh, would like to get out and and walk another round with you when you can find the time. Uh, yeah, man. And good luck uh, with the the OHC part two. Um, yeah, man. Thanks. That's that ought to be cool, people. If you've got any interest at all, check out Peter's website at the Eternal Summer Golf Society. Uh, you can find all the details. And it 
might be you might find something uh, that you didn't know you were looking for. So again, I've been talking with Peter Schmidt uh, here of Lex. Are you? Well, we'll say Central Kentucky. Yeah. Um, so, Peter, thank you so much. Thanks, man. Enjoy talking to you. A big thank you to my friend Peter for coming on with me. This interview was recorded a little while ago, so I reached back out to Peter this week, and he says, for now, uh, the second edition of the Oil Hardened Classic is still tentatively scheduled to proceed this summer up at French Lick. Uh, it's a tournament it will be on the Ross course, which is one I've played twice. Just absolutely love that golf course. So that's something that you have any interest in at all. Uh, there's a link to the tournament page in the show notes or you can go to eternalsummergolfsociety.org for more information. As I mentioned before, Peter's a good follow on Twitter, so follow him at PRSchmidt, that's P-R-S-C-H-M-I-T-T, and at Peter Schmidt Golf on Instagram. As always, thanks for stopping by this episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. A reminder, you can interact with us on Twitter at BlindShotsPod, or on the web at BlindShotsPodcast.com. Uh, there you can download episodes of the show directly onto whatever device you like. You can also subscribe to get it in your feed from any of the major services. Uh, Blueberry, Stitcher, uh, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all the rest. We're on all the major feeds. I hope you like what you heard here and that you'll subscribe to the podcast and maybe tell a friend. Uh, even go to iTunes and give me a rating. That would be fun. Good ratings, please. You know what? Any feedback at this point would be fine. Um, if you didn't like what you heard here, sorry about that. Can't change it now. Promise I'll try to do better next time. Um, I hope you'll join me again next time here on the Blind Shots podcast. We've got a few more episodes of uh, the Scotland experience in the, the hopper, so ought to be hitting publish on those soon. Hope you're enjoying that. I know I'm enjoying reliving uh, and keeping those memories fresh. Most importantly... I hope you guys are being safe and smart out there. Uh, we will get through this. And this war against this virus will end one day. Until then, whether you're playing golf safely now or simply daydreaming about whenever you can do it in the future, do decide to go for it and take dead aim. <laughs>